Welcome everybody to the Chinchilla Picking Podcast. It is July the 23rd, 2023. As always, we hope to be entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. My name is David Underwood and I am back and I'm joined by Brandon Beaver. Brandon, how's it going, man? Good. How about you? I'm doing well. I enjoyed my time away. Uh did work, uh, had some fun, did kind of both. So it was good to be in uh, Miami, enjoy the sun, the beach um while you were here in ohio so i i enjoyed that time you guys i heard the show i heard the show last week you know uh talked a little bit about disney and, and bob Iger and his plans and the streaming versus parks and yada 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 and all down that road um yeah and then you went into advertising agency and i i actually had i thought of a couple of questions but you're going to mention it this show, right? So I'm, I'm going to ask at, those, at that time more about the ad agency and kind of like, I wanted to know what kind of companies Omnicron actually uh, advertises for as far as the pharmaceutical and, and retail and others, the company names, not not necessarily like, oh, okay, 20% of this is biopharma. Oh, name, name me some. Is it Pfizer? Is it Merck? Is it, you know? Omnicom, and I actually don't have those names. I, I don't really care that much about the stock to be honest with you i just cared about what they said on the earnings uh paul um so <laughs> I'm, I'm not playing i got gotcha. you gotcha 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 to hear the generalities on it the generalities yeah mundalities uh all the mundalities of everyday life right yeah. well i mean people don't listen to us to hear that they want to actually hear some stuff about stocks and investment and what we think is going to actually move the markets what we think is actually going to be big, big news this week um, and so let's get into it, man. Rules, rules, rules. Brandon and I get together five to ten minutes before the show, and we tell each other what we're going to talk about. You actually hear the live discussion right here on the show in front of you. Um, after going over, I think we only have one argument we're going to have, but uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty peaceful show in the, in the meantime, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. No? maybe, maybe. All right, well, we'll, we'll see. Maybe. We'll see. It, where it, it is, it is Omnicom, it was a um unfortunate name over the past couple of years because <laughs> it's so close to omnicrom or whatever it was the uh you know the covid yeah two different two different companies not the same thing let's get into it i i won the coin toss i get to go first brandon deferred to the second half so here we go <clears throat> i want to talk a little bit about the baker hughes rig count so this is something i covered last year uh i think i, I was covering it every week wasn't i about I was covering the Baker Hughes rig count oil. Where is that? Because the oil was a big thing with the Ukraine, Russian and, and that whole war when it started. And I believe I was covering all the time. Um, so I want to, I want to bring it back here to the front of the table. If you can't find this guys, it is free to view. You do not need a subscription to anything. Just, you could just literally Google Baker Hughes rig count and you can find this information that I have here that I'm about to talk about. And it talks about the actual oil rigs in North America. And I like how they break this down. There's there, it's just broken down so nicely. So, um, one uh, last week there was uh, 647 rigs uh, that were active in North America. One year ago there was 738. So rig count is down. It's down uh, in certain areas. Uh, the Permian Basin is still pretty strong. That's the biggest one in the uh, United States and actually in North America. Um, Texas, of course, has the most rigs uh, with New Mexico is second place right behind there. 
and then Louisiana and all the Cajuns out there in Louisiana, they are also pumping out some oil rigs as well. Um, but the, the reason why I bring this up is I've seen the oil companies, ExxonMobil, uh, Schlumberger, uh, ConocoPhillips, all the oil companies are moving up in price right now. And I, I was wondering, okay, what is driving them to go up? I mean, yes, they're reporting great numbers. Because everybody's in the economy is driving, taking vacations, airplane uh, tickets are, you know, being booked up, and uh, everybody's going out. They're enjoying their time. They're they think they have a good feeling, right? As far as like able to travel right now with the extra money. When we we've talked about it before, nobody's paying on student loans right now. They have a little bit extra cash. Um, J.P. Morgan saying that all that extra COVID cash is going to be dried up here soon, but it's not dried up yet. So some people are still taking vacations with all this. So given all that, right, uh, that's saying, okay, you know, people are using oil, oil's being used up, we're traveling, we're out there, that would, you know, justify a rise in the price of oil. But I also believe it has to do with the the OPEC cuts, right? So OPEC, as we announced on this uh, show uh, about a month, month and a half ago, has agreed to go ahead and do cuts. And so they, they got together and they said they're going to do cuts and... What has happened because of that is now there's less oil in the market, and now Russia has actually been able to sell their oil above where everyone in the world said, hey, you can't sell it above this price because we're capping you because you're starting wars. Well, they're actually able to sell it above that price because there's a shortage of oil. And when you look at the Baker Hughes rig count, we're actually uh, lower on our uh, uh, rigs here, so we're not pumping out as much oil. And oil companies don't want to invest in it because there's no need right now is what they're was what I was reading on a couple articles. I gotta read some more into it. But the, this this makes me uh, uh the OPEC said that they were looking at for a downturn in the economy, global economy later on this year, and that's why they kind of quit. They kind of cut back, not quit, they cut back on how much they were producing. And with that in combination with the North America, then Russia is as is why they're getting it, able to sell the oil they're able to sell. And reason why the oil companies are going up in price. Now, do I think this price is sustainable for the stock price of, say, ExxonMobil, which is over 100 bucks a share right now? Thoughts real quick, Brandon, on everything I just said. Any immediate thoughts come to mind? They cut because they think we're going into a downturn. But let, <laughs> let's, let's say this. Recession. <laughs> we're going uh. into a recession. Well, I mean, that's debatable, but uh, downturn nonetheless. Um, he, here's the thing, though, right? So I, I with the, the price of oil not moving up uh, relative to the same price of the stocks, right? That makes me think that they are currently overvalued or overbought. Um, again, I need more time to actually give you an exact calculation. But when I'm looking at it from a high level, rough point of view, without digging in deep, I, I look at it as overbought, overvalued, and I look for a I, I look for a pullback to happen before I would get in on any one of these oil companies. In fact, maybe a three month output would be uh, something I would be thinking about playing here because I don't think it's sustainable profit at at this level. Thoughts? Well, I mean, especially if they're right and if the reason why, you know, they're cutting is because they think we're going into a recession. If they're correct about that, then demand's not going to um, sustain prices at these levels. Um, 
And, you know, that, that's not the reason why you want supply, you know, to, to be weighted in that direction. That's not why you want the supply demand to, to be weighted. You want demand to be higher than supply because there's a lot of demand for it. You know, you don't want to see supply cuts because they forecast demand to drop. I don't see a reason for the prices to be going up the way they're going right now. It seems actually relatively bearish in my opinion. Really bearish. You're looking at it. I say I look at it as like bullish. So we're looking at the same thing and we're getting two different, same signal. And we're getting two different interpretations of it. Not if, not if, uh, not if demand doesn't, uh, you know, isn't going to be there. It doesn't, doesn't, mm-hmm. work. they're cutting supply because demand's going to go down that, you know, you don't want the supply demand factor in your favor for that reason that it's not. What, what do you think about? They're just trying to push up the price of oil and thus, that justifies the price of the companies. They're trying to, to to manipulate the price of oil and push it higher. I mean, they are manipulating the price of oil. Unfortunately, there's just so many ways that they can do that. But um, they got to build that wall city in Saudi Arabia somehow, right? Yeah, but who cares if the price goes up if if not that many people are buying it? You know, mm-hmm. if, if if the demand for oil drops because people are losing their jobs and aren't going to work every day the way that you would expect, if that's what happens, then it doesn't really matter if they've raised the price. The revenue is not going to grow with it. All right. Fair enough, man. Now, if I, you're on the other side of this and you think we're not going to go into a recession, then fine. It's good. It's great for oil companies. Stinks for us consumers. But, you know, if you think we are going into a recession and there's a downturn and they're correct about that, then it's not a good thing. Well, I mean, uh, so it does stink for us consumers. Uh, it means that the the costs are going to continue to go higher. Uh, and we don't need that right now, especially if student loan payments are going to resume here soon. We don't need extra costs as far as cost of gas and, and everything related to oil. Now, yeah. if, they're, if they're cutting the rig count again, which this seems to be a pretty like relative. This, this is kind of a continuing story, at least on this show. We we cover a lot of rig count cuts. Um, I wonder if there's any layoffs to go along with that. Again, I had not had the time to dig deep into these numbers. I just did a high-level, quick overview of the oil sector and where things were at. And so I can't give you that numbers right now on the show. Okay. I would say something to look into. So if you're listening right now and you want something to research this week is maybe a, a possible play of either a, a put or a call or even maybe a sell, a, a short sell of a stock, that might be something to look into. And you know, I would recommend always doing research on something like that. Very hard. It's very hard to call when a recession would happen, though. So if you're basing it like on your bearish macroeconomics, I I don't know if I would recommend putting a put on the oil companies or on the market as a whole, even just because you have no idea when the recession is going to come about or even when it's going to be priced into the market. I Yeah, I'm not playing off a recession. I just think the stocks are overvalued. Gotcha. um, As a whole. So that's where I'm at. Overvalued, overbought. They had a nice little run up. Uh, I think it's time for a quick pullback. I'm not talking about a full 10% correction. I'm just talking about a pullback. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let me let me transition here. I want to go into something else. And I quickly mentioned this to uh, Brandon, and it kind of I think it piqued your interest a little bit about the uh, banking sector and what's what's been happening there. Um. So let me read a little bit about this article, Brandon. Then I want to get your quick immediate thoughts. 
Um, I kind of teased where I was going to lead it, but uh, I, I won't. I won't get into it right away here. So the article reads, and this is on uh, Bazinga, so take that for what it's worth. But the article reads, here's how $78 billion exited the U.S. banking system in just one week. So recent numbers from Federal Reserve economic data revealed a staggering $78 billion exited the American bank accounts from July 5th to July 12th. What happened? So um, after a relatively stable two-week period, an exodus of deposits took place as big banks invested substantial amounts of cash in third-party intermediaries to attract new deposits. Why are they attracting new deposits? Well, according to Jamie Dimon, this is uh, from him, CEO Jamie Dimon told shareholders about the banking sector's need to keep up with demands for higher rates in order to avoid a further flight of deposits. Why are they needing to keep up with higher rates? Because I could go anywhere and get a much higher rate for my money just sitting there than in a big bank. What am I talking about? I'm talking about what happened last year when Robinhood announced that they were going to go ahead and offer a 4 to 5% money market fund rate, which was unheard of. And they were putting money back in the uh, people's hands. And we had talked about on the show, and I said, this is probably going to make all the other banks have to follow suit or lose cash. And that's exactly what Jamie Dimon said would happen. That's what they think is happening. There's a no, there's a couple other things happening in here that I'll get into in a second, but your thoughts just on those statements alone, Brandon. I mean, Robin Hood does lead the way in innovation on things. It just they've got to get their uh, economics uh, together themselves. Well, let's not, let's take that out of the equation. We're not talking about Robin Hood right now. We're talking about the, the innovation that they're leading. We're talking about the higher interest yields on this and that people are pulling their money out of traditional banks at a high rate because they want those higher yields. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like the banks are going to react accordingly? Or, I mean, what do you, what do you think is going on here? Do you think it's something, something else? Well, they're going to have to because inflation is still high and it's, you know, still moving up despite the fact that growth of inflation has been cut by a lot. Um, people are wanting to, you know, have their, uh, their wealth and their income, keep up with inflation and and they're wanting to try to preserve their pricing power so yeah but five percent uh so, so i hate to cut you off but like five percent a year man does not keep up with inflation oh actually it does right now sorry it does keep up with current inflation rate but we've had so much inflation over the last few years that now it's you know it's not as much as it was five years ago yeah but it's something rather than nothing it's better you know, people that, but I think that's the reason why people are looking for higher rates. And then not only that, but the Federal Reserve's increased interest rates so much that, you know, a lot of banks can afford to raise the interest rates on just even things such as savings accounts at this moment in time. So, so you say that. So, here, let me go into some other things that, uh, um, <laughs> that, that, that has, has gone into this, art, uh, this article here. Um, and you're saying that the banks can afford to raise rates because of federal uh, rates, right? Yeah. Well, a report from S&P Global Market Intelligence showed that approximately 576 banks are, and here's here's where I want you to listen, are overexposed to commercial real estate loans based on regulatory guidelines. So that's representing an increase of 30% compared to a year ago. So we, we've talked about this on the show, how the commercial real estate market is uh, in trouble, fragile, it's hurting. Um, I, I, I've mentioned before it was probably priced in. People are aware of this. But apparently, 
it's overexposed to even just one uh, increase of 30% compared to one year ago. And they're saying they're overexposed based on what, and because I, I, I mentioned that there's new regulatory uh, rules they have to follow after the 2008 bubble, right? On investing and how they invest money. So they're overexposed based off the regulatory rules that were created. So the banks have gone past those rules, overexposed themselves to commercial real estate loans, and so now they're preparing for potential repercussions in the commercial real estate sector due to a rise of remote and hybrid work environments. Thoughts on that information? I wonder who enforces Dodd Frank. I SEC. Okay, maybe. I don't know. Security, this is Security and Exchange Commissions. If you're a new trader and you're listening, um, but it, it, here's my thought. Then, like. I mean, we've talked about this that you know the commercial real estate market's weak, right? You know, that that we knew this would happen, and the banks had to know. If you and I on Chinchilla picking out of Cincinnati, Ohio, were calling this months ago, the banks have had to have seen it, um, but yet they've increased their exposure to it. Well, I <laughs> so wonder what's going on here. It's because there's so little demand for home loans right now, I and mean, nobody wants to pay the interest rates on those. Nobody wants to sell their house or buy a house at this moment in time. The market's stagnant in uh, in home loans, and I wonder if they've uh, tried to make up for it with commercial. That that's one way, but then that that goes back to uh, them trying to go ahead and 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 make money and continue to be profitable at any cost, and that's the problem. And that's why we had the Dodd Frank. That's why we had these regulations. Is it, it can't be at any cost. You gotta you gotta use people's money properly, and then that's what. I, I want to really come down on these banks for, and that's why we preach on the show of investing your own money, taking control of your own finances and, you know, growing your own money on top of your 401k or on top of your IRAs you got out there. And what other, uh, what other company led benefits you have invest your own money is what we say. That way, when those companies fail, you have that money ready to go for you to work for you. Um, this is one of the reasons why is because these banks, will make bad decisions. We go back to uh, SVB fell, Signature Bank fell, all, all those failures uh, recently that um, happened is because of poor poor practices and not putting the right people in the right positions and making bad decisions. I want to end this this conversation here with this, this last little paragraph here, and I want to read it for you. Um, the report revealed that 23 U.S. banks, that's just 23 of the 576 banks, 23 U.S. banks, have sufficient capital to absorb more than $540 billion in losses and then continue lending to households and businesses under stressful conditions. So that's good news, that they have that much on hand ready to absorb $540 billion in losses, right? Those losses comprise of $424 billion this, in loan losses. So they haven't seen this yet. This is just they did a stress test, seeing how much they could take, right? So they they estimated these would com, com, be comprised of 424 billion in loan losses, um, and then 18 billion in additional losses from such items such as loans booked under the fair value option, accounting for three percent of total losses. So when they did a stress test, they said, "Hey, you guys can lose 540 billion and still be in business," which I guess that's a good thing uh, that they're able to withstand that kind of stress. But you know. I, I don't want to see five hundred forty billion dollars in losses either. Right. No. <laughs> no thanks. So I'm hoping that the commercial real estate uh, market doesn't doesn't make up five hundred forty billion in losses. But uh, 
the fact that they came out and said that 576 banks are overexposed to this market uh, kind of worries me a little bit because uh, when you couple that with, again, student loan repayments, everything else is going on that's going to be going on happening. It, it makes it a little bit troubling. Um, but I'm glad that they did the stress test and they were able to come up with this information. Yeah. Um, and I think the banks need to be smart about how they invest. And But it's here's to what Jamie Dimon was saying and trying to tell to his peers is you need to be smart about how you invest, but we also need to be competitive with our money market funds and compete with Robinhood for this five, four to 5% return on, 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 on the money that people want. So, I mean, it's, it's a balancing bank. The banks have to do. I think uh, JP Morgan is doing it because they're being uh, led by Jamie Dimon. I don't think every bank is doing it. Brian Monaghan at a bank in America. Yes and no. Yes. On some things, no on others. They're, they're making some good decisions here, other bad decisions there, which makes them really just kind of stay flat. And that's where they always, are really uh so as far as an investment is uh, they have they don't have much growth over the last 20 years i mean honestly it, it's just besides that little v in 2007 2008 i mean have they so it, it's uh yeah so and monaghan's been there forever forever he's had plenty of time to to turn uh run that company and get, get some growth and diamonds done it so i don't know thoughts brandon i yeah i agree I agree. I just the, the bank, there's so many other what you know things you could put your money into rather than the banking sector right now. So I don't really like. I'm I'm not ever gonna probably buy a bank stock in my life. Wait, wait, you own Berkshire Hathaway? Berkshire Hathaway is different though. It's like, an investment bank. It's an it's investment a, bank. It's different. Berkshire, and they're in the commercial Berkshire, real estate. Berkshire doesn't have to have to um, abide by Dodd Frank. It's, it's I mean, some of the banks, I mean, they own banks that have to abide by it, but overall, yeah, you're not going to, if you buy JP Morgan, you're not going to get, you know, huge exposure to Apple or, or Kroger or anything like that. That's, it's, it's its own animal for sure. All right, man. Fair enough. All right. So let's maneuver, let's switch gears, if you will. And, and into this, uh, what, what you wanted to talk about. But I'm going to lead the way with a few comments, and then I'm going to let you take it over here. And we're going to talk about Tesla for a little bit. Um, one, uh, if if you guys don't know, uh, Meta came out with a Threads thing. Um, Chinchilla Pickin is on Threads. I've been uh, threading, if you will, um, recently on for Chinchilla Pickin. Um, so if you're if you're listening right now and you're on Threads, go ahead and follow us. That's fine. Uh, I don't know if I'll keep up with it. I may, may not. Um, but however. Having said that, um, Elon Musk came out and said that uh, they can't get enough NVIDIA chips, right? They can't get enough NVIDIA chips to fund the production of Tesla cars. They're using tons and tons and tons of it. This flies in the face of what I said of NVIDIA is overvalued at its current price because I said I made the comment that if NVIDIA doubles its revenue this year, it's still overvalued at where it's at compared to its peers in the $1 trillion market. Um, one trillion market cap uh, game there, the other three players in that field. And I feel like it's still that way, but at the same point, people are buying into NVIDIA for future earnings growth. And that's why they're buying into it. The same reason people are buying into Tesla for future earnings growth. And with all these states like Washington state also saying that they want to end uh, combustion engine sales by 2035, California saying 2035, probably Oregon's next at 2035. 
you're gonna you're gonna see these EV sales march up, and Tesla's gonna be the big winner here. We've talked about pet Tesla's the big winner at the charging stations. Brandon, I know you wanted to go into Tesla earnings, so given all that information, I'm gonna let you take it over, man. Actually, no, I wanted you to go into Tesla earnings because I didn't have anything on it. <laughs> That's why I texted you about it. <laughs> okay, never mind. Um, so all right, so I did look at the the the, the high numbers. I, I did not uh, get into any detail there. The high numbers they beat. They beat right. Cyber trucks. Uh, more orders came in for cyber trucks than anyone. Uh, anyone really believed. They thought Elon Musk was uh, bluffing when he was saying the cyber truck sales are going to be great. The cyber truck numbers came in very, very high of pre-orders. So it looks like we're going to see a lot of cyber trucks on the road in the next few years. Um, which I think that's a cool thing. Yeah, why not? Why not make a, a difference in how cars look? You know, make it look cool. Um, but uh. Yeah, I, I look at these numbers and I don't see why this the 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 stock reacted negatively to this report. And I believe it has something to do with uh, with them lowering the looking at lowering the price again, so their profit margin is going to be even thinner now. And I think that had a lot to do with it. And they're trying to stay competitive by having lower prices. They're still profitable on each car they sell, but yet the profit margin has just gotten a little bit thinner. And they're, now they're going to be really dependent on that federal subsidy money that they're getting and coming in um, in order to buy one of these Teslas. Uh, and that's where I think why the people the sell-off after the earnings call was because of that. Brandon, thoughts? Yeah, I think so, too. It was just it, – it's ran so high, it was time to give some back. That's all. People took people took profits and oh hold on hold on yeah I mean you could say that I thought that about Nvidia but no it's still going to the moon um so I mean has it run so high and that's the reason why or are people really concerned about the profitability you know it dropped what what the the margin dropped down to eighteen percent that's still pretty good for autos that's I mean a lot of a lot was made by that I think at two percent drop or something like that but. Elon's kind of, you know, dropped prices on the EVs that they're selling in order to gain market share. And I think he's he's sensing the shift faster than what we expected in the EVs um, from the consumer side and also from the government side. And so I think he's trying to get ahead of that um, by gaining more market share. And, and he'll be, you know, Tesla is going to be 100% in the lead on this um, when the shift continues to speed up. And I think that's, what's going to happen. So I don't, I don't actually have any problem with the, um, with the uh, uh, margin uh, slippage there. Like other so people you buy on this pullback that happened. Uh, I mean, I think you could start dipping into it. I mean, See, I'm I was... not, I'm not going to say go all in. I, like I said, I think we're, I think we're heading for a recession here. So, but you know, I mean, you could be wrong. I could be wrong about it and I don't know when that's going to happen. So why not start dipping into it and then just kind of buy, buy in slowly over the next year. It's got a PE ratio 74. It does. It does, but it's, 74. it's, got, it's it, growth has sped up quite a bit there. I mean, I haven't seen this many Teslas on the road, but it used to, it used to take me months in between seeing Teslas on the road out here in uh, the middle of nowhere, Ohio, Ohio, but I see them every day now. Right. So, so they're, they're becoming more commonplace. Everyone is going to be having Teslas and you're, you're seeing that the growth is actually true. So you, you would buy into the growth aspect of this company and say, yes, at 74 P growth, 
Yeah, I mean, because that's that's about where, where's Nvidia? Isn't Nvidia pretty similar? It's about a two hundred PE, I think, or something crazy like that. It's like two eighty or two seventy or something. I'm trying to pull it up now, but yeah, that is crazy, man. If it is, yeah, yeah, two thirty six. Ouch! Yeah. I wonder what the How can you justify buying it at this price? I don't. I don't. It's an it's 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 an insanely good company. It's a great company. Uh, growth is phenomenal there, but you're you're. This is one. It of is a great company. I've say. I've never said it's not a great company. I said yeah. it's very well run. It's a great company. They have some some troubles with tariffs between U.S. and China. They have some trouble there. They can't produce enough chips. They can't keep up with demand. It's a great company, but they can't keep up with demand. So they're maxed out on how much revenue that they can produce exactly. right now, yeah. and so yeah. therefore they're overvalued. I agree. I agree. This is if one you of can only produce ones. a thousand chips, you should not be valued at producing five thousand chips. That right. doesn't make sense. Right. Price matters. What you pay for a stock absolutely matters. Side note, just real quick. Did you see the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia this past week by any chance? Uh, no. Sorry. I just wanted to bring it up because you're talking about Tesla. And um, there's there's actually like Mac in the show. He's driving a, a car called Tsunami or something like that. And it's supposed to be like a fill-in for Tesla. And uh, he leaves his phone somewhere else. And he's got to start his car with his phone. But he leaves his phone somewhere else, so he can't get his car started. And it's kind of a playoff of something that happened to him real life in real life with a Tesla. Uh, Glenn Howerton, the actor, um, parked his car in a parking garage where there was no cell phone service, and then he came back to his Tesla with his phone and couldn't get cell phone service, so he couldn't open his car to get it started. <laughs> it's something to look into. It's a pretty funny episode. Nice, nice. All right, so let's take a turn here, Brandon. I'm going to let you uh, lead. Of what you got, the Fed rate coming up on Wednesday at 2 p.m., guys. That's where you're going to see the FOMC decision announced Wednesday at 2 p.m. Brandon, go ahead. Okay. Netflix reported earnings, um, and uh, investors were a little bit wanting at the end of it, but it was a pretty good earnings report. Q2 earnings, uh, a Q2 revenue was eight dollars and uh, I'm sorry, 8.17 billion, up 2.7 percent from uh, the same time last year. Still missed their own. $8.24 billion target. Uh, earnings per share came in at $3.29, however, and this would like beat it, knocked it out of the park. The expectations were $2.84 a share. Operating margin, 22.3%. That's pretty good for the second quarter. Um, they surpassed their own prediction on that of 19%. And uh, $1.34 billion in cash flow, uh, free cash flow. Double their estimates of five hundred forty-two million, so not a bad quarter for Netflix. Revenue forecast mixed expectations. They're they're looking at eight point five two billion dollars in revenue, uh, whereas Wall Street was looking at a prediction of eight point six seven billion dollars for the third quarter. So they missed on that. Um, the other disappointment here for Netflix, and this is kind of going to play out through a theme here for the rest of the show for me. The cheapest ad-supported tier, uh, subscriptions for that nearly doubled in the second quarter, which is great. But ad revenue didn't form any material part of the picture for uh, quarterly earnings. And this is what left people disappointed here. People were expecting companies to line up and pay for advertisements on Netflix, and it didn't quite pan out. Not yet, at least. 
Uh, Netflix says, while we continue to grow, our reach ad plan membership has nearly doubled since Q1. It's still off a small membership base, so current ad revenue isn't material for Netflix. Building an ads business from scratch isn't easy, and we have lots of hard work ahead, but we're off. Uh, we're confident that our team can develop advertising into a multi-billion dollar incremental revenue stream. They're looking for ad revenue to be 10% of their revenue. Go ahead, Dave. All right. So on the previous show, David Underwood came up here of Netflix and talked about the ad revenue plan. And on that show, I said that um, the reason why um, Netflix is not getting the amount of money uh, from the ads that they were looking to get was because, A, number one, they were not getting enough subscribers on the ad revenue base to meet the levels in the uh, contractual agreements with the advertisers. So let's say you're an advertiser, right? Say Chinchilla Pickle wants to advertise with Netflix. We say, we'll give you Netflix $1 million. And Netflix says, okay, you're going to reach 1 million uh, listeners. Netflix is only reaching 100,000 listeners. So now we're saying we don't have to pay you that 1 million. We only have to pay you 100,000 because you're not reaching your goals. That is what happened. We reported on that uh, back in the day, and that's what's going on. So Netflix needs to continue to raise that base in order to meet the uh, contractual agreements with the advertisers that it had. And it lost some advertisers because of their poor performance in Q1. Uh, It's good to see them improve on their performance in Q2, but they still have a long way to go. Like they said, it is hard to build this business from the ground up if you didn't start this way. Yes, and I, I, I agree with that, but that's a good explanation, I feel, of what's happening there with the ad business. And then number number two thing with Netflix right now, before, actually, no, go ahead and respond. No, I mean, I just, I honestly wonder if it's a, if it's a situation where advertising just as a whole is down right now as far as ad spending for the entire country. Um, no, I, yes and no. And, uh, here, here, I'll get into that here. That's a, that's a side subject here, but Netflix is also going to just two plans. They, they go into the, just their premiere plan and then the ad plan. And that's it. They're getting ra- uh, rid of their basic plan. So um, that's also going to be a, a headwind, I believe, for Netflix is you you want to get a choice of two plans, either ad plan or premium plan. That's it. That's all you're going to get. As, as far as ad revenue, um, come, come next year, you're going to see ad revenue just skyrocket for advertisers. And that's just because of election. Election ad revenue for 2024 is going to be high. There are already record numbers of pulling pulling in money for uh, these slush funds of these people running for political positions. Record numbers, record numbers, tens of billions, millions, tens of millions, tens of millions. So and so brought in 20 million this past week for their raising funds. I mean, it's just it's going to be outrageous the amount of spending uh, that we're going to see on ads next year. But that's next year. So what does that have to do with this year? This year, yeah, you might see a little bit of slump as people prepare for that. Or um, as people prepare for a slowdown in the economy, everyone keeps saying they're preparing for the slowdown in the economy. But if we never see a slowdown in the economy, what do you have? You have stores of low, uh, with lower inventories because they prepared for a slowdown and they don't have enough stuff to sell now. And that's what you're going to see, because if we don't have the slowdown in the economy, you're going to see stores run out of inventories very quickly. And I think you've already starting to see it at certain retailers because they overprepared for a slowdown. You think so? Yes, I think so. Okay. All right. Um, so last week I mentioned um, the Omnicom stock, not Omnicom. Omnicon. Omnicron. 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 Is it, they, they got COVID. <laughs> Omnicon. 
down 11% after earnings, unfortunately, because of a, um, I mean, they beat on earnings again. This is like the 17th straight time they beat on earnings, but they missed on revenue and um, downbeat forecast again. The CEO didn't go really into what he sees in the macroeconomic picture for the last half of the year, unfortunately, but Interpublic chief executive did. Um, he said this, he said that tech is, the tech sector is moving through a challenging period. What we have seen is that the tech sector is under a lot of stress, according to um, the uh, script from the uh, uh, earnings call there. And he said that the pressure that they've seen in the sector, it's not just from smaller tech companies. In fact, he said the smaller tech companies not so bad right now. Um, and he said he's not even seeing like problems with the venture capitalist side of tech. He's just saying that it's a, it's a relatively small group of large companies that are having problems. You know, the, we've seen the layoffs from Meta, Google, and such. Yeah, but hold on, hold on. Though they already went through the layoffs. They restructured. They're in a better position now. There's not a slowdown anymore. They move forward. Chat AI. AI came out and just after they did their cuts and job cuts and restructuring, AI that. came out and it's push, pushed the tech sector higher. AI has re-energized the tech sector. Okay. And, and, and they've already made the cuts. They've already restructured. They're good. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Differentiate between the stocks moving higher and what's actually happening at the companies. What numbers are you looking at to say that they've bottomed and that they've moved back up? I, I, I'm looking at Meta. I'm looking at the stock price. I'm looking at, uh, you know, Meta, you know, Meta, like the back of your hand, right? Yeah. Meta, Meta bottomed after all the cuts. The it stock bottomed, bottomed after yes. all the cuts because the stock was pricing in the the uh the uh, basically the end of the world there but right the and so had, so was so was google so was amazon so was all of them yeah right? but, but the stocks the stocks were undervalued back in october and now we're back to being overvalued again i think no they dropped earlier in the spring of this year when they were announcing all the cuts they all took it they all took a drop they all took a drop back they pulled back and uh i, I believe at that point we priced in all the all those uh, those cuts, the restructuring, the, the the companies did the restructuring, and now it's all priced in. It's good. The companies are now rolling on a more profitable footing because they 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 took the cuts and they're still able to produce the same product they were producing before with fewer people, and and thus now they become a slim a slimmer, leaner company and is able to compete. So it's something I would buy into. I mean, that's great, but I think that uh, the NASDAQ has become dislodged from reality right now. I think we've went too high on the other end. Um, I, I think that's AI, and AI is, is going to be, again, I think we have another six to nine months of this AI pushing stocks higher before you see a pullback and a realization, hey, this really shouldn't be valued where it's at right now. Because we saw that with marijuana. We saw that with the COVID uh, uh, companies. We, we've seen this before in other bubbles that have come and gone, Brandon. This is not our first bubble of things that have come and gone. We saw that with EVs. Where's Lordstown Motor Motors now? Do they even exist? You know what I mean? Yeah. We're going to see that with, with with other sectors that blow up. They, they, they blow up. They push everything higher. They make companies become overvalued. You saw that with the aerospace and Virgin Galactic. We covered on the show. Why is it worth $4 billion when they were only producing $100 million or $400 million, whatever they were actually a, a capable of producing? You're going to see these AI companies continue to explode, and then some. The people are going to start all of a sudden realize, oh yeah, this isn't valued at 
$10 billion, this is only valued at maybe $1 billion. And so that's when you see the pullback on them. I don't think you're going to see it yet. And of companies like Meta or Google, I don't think you will see it the same as these other companies that are just solely AI dependent. Okay. So the CEO of, of Interpublic here, the, his name is Philip Krukowski. He says uh, about he doesn't think that the tech industry is bottomed yet. He does he doesn't think that we'll be able to call the turn, is what he said. And he's confident that the tech sector will eventually bottom. Of course. I mean, we, we just think the tech sector is not going to exist anymore. <laughs> I don't think it's going to bottom, Dave. I think we're all, you know, I don't is it just, like we're going to blow up the entire tech industry and just decide, never mind. I think I'm going back to industrials now. <laughs> right. Anyways, uh, he does say it's clearly going through something that is more pro protracted than any of us thought. So th th that's what he said on a conference call. And again, and, and he's a very smart individual. It's it's one person's um, point of view versus another. Right. You and I have disagreed on different things on the show and you've been right. And at times and I've been right at times. I, I look, I just think that. It's it's the the companies that are solely like oh this company has come out with this new AI thing and it's great now that company is valued at ten billion dollars yeah. I'm like well what are they producing to be worth ten billion dollars now if it's Google okay Google is actually producing a product Google is actually doing something you know um, if it's Meta Meta is actually doing something all right that that's worth it but if it's a small company that came out of nowhere because they have a bit they're a cog in the AI wheel. Right. Then then I don't I think those companies are way overvalued. And yes, they're gonna come back down to reality eventually. Do I see it happening next month? No. Do I see it happening two months out? No. I see six and nine months. Yeah. I mean, eventually it's, the Virgin I mean, Galactics be, are gonna yeah. happen. I mean, there's you, you can't very intelligent person once said that um the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. I honestly forget who it was. I forget who said it though. It's so remember. true though. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why you don't you don't you don't put your money in companies that say, "Hey, I'm valued at 10 billion dollars." I'm like, "Okay, but like what are you bringing to actually create that value?" Nothing. You know, it's like when I say Nvidia. Nvidia is overvalued. The the PE ratio is 236. They don't deserve to be at the price. It's a great company. It's well run. It deserves a good stock price, but it doesn't deserve to be 400 and some odd dollars a share. Right. And you then know, on, I, the, on the flip side of that, too, I don't necessarily think that I would put a, a, a any short dated puts on it anytime soon. Maybe if you want to go two, two or three years out and then just, you know, cash in on it once it does decline, depending on what the, uh, um, you know, what the Greeks on the on the uh, put look like. But it, it does work on the flip side, too, because it's like, all right, we, we really don't know how long this mania is going to last. So you could be right about something with options, and and then if your timing's off, then it doesn't matter if you're right about it. So but it goes back to what you just said. Like the market can remain irrational longer than you can solve it. Yep. So if you, if you, if you are betting against the video right now, the market can continue to push it higher, even though it, it makes no fundamental microeconomic sense right. whatsoever. Right. Um, it, it will continue to push it higher until it decides that it's time to pull out. Right. The next next on the docket here, UPS strike scheduled to happen if there's no deal by the 31st. Um, let Nick brought this up last week, and I, th I think I kind of brushed it off, and I really shouldn't have because I didn't realize how 
big of an impact. I don't know how I didn't realize this, but it's a huge impact on the U.S. economy if this happens. A 10-day strike from UPS would cost the U.S. economy more than $5 billion. And and this is, by the way, this is just that 10-day strike. This isn't any long-term impacts that are being, you know, that can't really be estimated on the uh, U.S. economy. Um. Workers would lose $1.1 billion in wages. Customers would lose around $4 billion. And Patrick Anderson uh, from Anderson Economic Group says the biggest losses are to people who are not striking and not connected to UPS. This is highly unusual for a strike. With the UPS strike, everyone in America will feel it if it happens. If you're looking at this um, strike here and, and you're wondering who's going to be impacted, the people that normally are, the, use UPS the most industry-wise, they're automotive groups, uh, parts and stuff like that, and then the medical supplies industry. So if you have a stock that's an automotive or uh, medical supply industry, I think you need to be paying attention to this for sure. I think everybody really needs to pay attention to it to see it. And of course, if UPS, if if you own that stock, you should be paying attention to it. Go ahead, Dave. All right, so I want I'm going to make this real quick, man. Um, I'm going to speak here, and I'm going to give you guys some of my life experience right now. Um, I was at UPS. I was a union steward in the Teamster Union. I I know how uh, the the these things work from an inside point of view. I almost ran for a Teamster office. Um, how so many people, now again, how many people have asked you how many people have asked you where Hoff is buried? <laughs> I, again this was a long time ago a long time ago when i was a much younger man um when my age started with a two um so <laughs> long time ago i i will i will i will i will say this man the the teamsters and ups always seem to go to the to the wire but then things always seem to get worked out the last time they actually had a real strike was in the 90s um it's been a long time since they actually had a real strike almost 30 almost 30 years and it, it, they always seem to be worked out. They just hold off into the last end of the wire, and then everybody comes to an agreement here. So that's what I think is going to happen this time around. However, I do believe that they do need to do more for the, the people that work in the warehouses there as far as the pay raises, and that's where the the, the this agreement is coming from here. Um, the, the strike will affect a lot, but I believe it's going to be short-lived. I'm not betting on the strike happening, and that's just my two cents, and I, I give you that two cents with letting you know about my experience being the union steward in the teamster union. Um, take it, take it, or leave it how you want. I don't think they're really that far off. They're not, they're not that far off. Goes. I'm surprised it's gotten this far. They're not that far off. And I think they're going to come to agreement this week. They okay. meet again on Tuesday. They meet again on now, Tuesday. Now here's another company that the teamsters represent that looks like they're going to go into strike. And this one for me is kind of a head scratcher. Yellow freight. Um, their financials have been on the downturn for quite a while now, but they owe $50 million in pension plan payments. They've defaulted on these pension plan payments. The head scratcher is that they've got a hundred million dollars that they're sitting on in cash. Go ahead, Dave. So they have not defaulted uh, as of yet. They still have time to go ahead and make that payment is what you're talking about. And it's just the central states uh, pension fund for the teamsters that work for yellow freight. Yellow Freight uh, coming up on next year is going to have to uh, make a payment of $1.2 billion 
in loan payments uh and they said that they they cannot make that and thus they're going to have to pull the money from the pension funds and the healthcare funds in order to stay afloat that's what they were claiming the the teamster union was saying no you have the money to make these healthcare payments and to to pension fund this is where the disagreement was so yellow freight as uh as a red uh, article i read that was uh, dated one hour, uh, 30 minutes ago before okay. we started recording. Before we started recording, 30 minutes ago, it came out and said Yellow Freight has agreed to go ahead and, and reinstate the health care uh, benefits and make the payment to the pension fund. Okay, that tells me they actually really did have the money for that. Now, the question comes in the, in the effect, come January, are they going to be able to make the $1.2 billion payment on their loans? Okay. So the pension plan payments, when I read, they were due last week and they missed them. So they must have had an extension on that, but you're saying now they've paid the pension plan payments? Well, they, they've come to agreement to make payment late. Um, it was not a default yet. You, you know, it's like when you have a credit card payment, right? It's not a default till it's past 30 days late. That's so they, uh, they, they came to an agreement to go ahead and make the payment. Now that tells, like I said, that tells me they had the money, but they were saying we need this money to stay afloat. Well then, how are you? Why why even pay for healthcare and uh, pension funds if you're not going to be afloat? I mean, why there were drivers that? there. There were drivers there that had been driving with them for 10, 20, 30 years. Even there was a viral video out on TikTok of this guy that had been driving for Yellow Freight, uh, being told that he's not going to get his pension, and he'd been with them for thirty years. It, that's rough, man. That That's who I feel bad for. The people that, you know, expect to get that money and then now it's being toyed with. It's not fun. It's not a fun thing. Yeah. So I, I you're right. And I agree with that. It's not a fun thing to be in that position. Um, but you're counting on a company to go ahead and provide that pension for you. Knowing full well, they have an exit clause. If they go bankrupt, they don't have to provide it. All right. Um, so. Yes, that's an awful position. I feel horrible for those uh, individuals to be in that position. Hey, I'm not going to get my pension now. At the same time, here's what I I tell people when I was at UPS for those those couple those uh, those years that I spent there. Um, you know, I was enrolled into the pension plan as well, but I also did the stock purchase plan and I also did a 401k on top of the pension plan. I was putting money away hand over fist. Right. Now people people don't don't realize that how, why that's important. And when you when you know my background, and you know where I'm at today, you look back and go, well, yeah, you made smart decisions when you were younger. I'm like, yeah, but anybody can make those smart decisions. You can't put all your eggs in one basket and you right. can't trust just one company to handle your money because that one company could go bankrupt at any given time. So that's why I say have multiple, multiple accounts in, mul in multiple places once you have enough money for that. You know, yeah. if you're if you're working with like 10,000 or less, just get one Fidelity account or TD Ameritrade account. That's good enough for now. Right. Now, yeah. Uber, Uber Freight actually confirmed to Freight Waves, uh, they've made the decision to temporarily stop tendering freight to YRC right now. So, I mean, this is kind of reverberating throughout the freight industry. YRP said to mitigate the impact on our customers and their logistics, we're temporarily, or no, this was Uber Freight. To mitigate the impact on our customers and their logistics, we're temporarily suspending tenders where Uber Freight holds the contract with Yellow and that's the other name for them. They've been YRP, they've been Yellow Freight, blah, blah, blah. And they're rapidly diverting capacity across our network to maintain flow of goods. We are continuing to monitor the situation and make adjustments as needed. I, I think Yellow Freight's going to lose a lot of business because of this, and people are going to be concerned about their future. 
Um, for right now, they're going to continue operating. Uh, I, I, I look at them and I say, is Holland next? Is Holland next? Because Holland was having the same issues with the Teamsters and Pension Funds as well. It was mentioned in the articles with Yellow Freight. So is Holland next? That's my question. That's what I'd be worried about if I was working for Holland. Yep. Awesome. Brandon, uh, final thoughts, man. Final thoughts. Um, Uncertain times. You know, there's always uncertainty at any given time in the market, no matter what it is. Uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If you find an undervalued stock, go ahead and buy it anyways. Um, I do think that, uh, honestly, I think Netflix, the price to earnings ratio right now, round to 35, I think, for forward. That's not terrible. I'm not going to recommend to buy Netflix. So I would, I do recommend dipping into Tesla. Really? Dipping into yeah, Tesla? I still, think, huh? I still think there's explosive growth heading there. I wouldn't buy all at once. I'd buy slowly throughout the next year. All right. And then if we have a recession, pile money into it. If the stock market, you know, goes down 10 to 20% or more. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Here's my thing, guys. Um, as I look at these oil companies, I see Schlumberger one year when the rig counts have gone down by over 100 rig counts in North America. And Schlumberger is a company that services rigs, oil rigs, oil stations, right? That's their business. It's one of their main businesses. They were up 60% over the past year, even though the rig count has gone down. And, uh, one that I definitely feel is a overbought bubble is Transocean RIG is the ticker symbol Transocean. They uh, really, their name says it all. They work with oil rigs, uh, mainly in the oceans. Um, they're one year, even though the rig count has gone down by over 100 in North America. Over the past year, they were up over 200% possible overvalue there. Um, um, when I look at ExxonMobil over the past year, they're only up 20%. So that that one, you know, not to come back as much. But when I, when I think uh, Apache, Apache is fair valued. So not every oil company is the same. I think Apache is fair value where it's at. Um, I don't look for a up or down. I you know thirty eight, right? Perfect fair value for Apache. But rig RIG Transocean I think is overvalued up over two hundred percent when the actual number of rigs has gone down in North America. So I think that's something to uh, keep in mind if you're looking for an oil play. Other than that. Um, I know I was questioning whether or not I would hold on to Blink. I'm still holding on to it. I have long-term uh, visions for that. I believe it's going to go higher, especially with the push on EVs to 2035. If you haven't gone, join me on the Blink trade. Right now, it's at a good price. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Right now, it's at a great price. Uh, so uh, maybe get in and uh, make that play. Uh, I'm happy to see Cooler finally starting making the moves. I am once again profitable on Cooler and very happy to be sitting in the position I'm sitting in. So... Very happy with that. And uh, I'm profitable on Cooler because I dollar cost average on something I believe to be long-term uh, play. When it dipped down, when it gaps down a lot real quickly, that's an opportunity for you to get in and lower your cost average if you believe in the company long-term like I do. So use those opportunities when they show themselves. Uh, right now, I'm not buying anymore. I'm, I'm sitting on my position there. I'm not buying anymore at this moment. Just just to give you an update. All right, guys. As always, we've hope we've been educational, uplifting. And I just messed that up. Entertaining. Entertaining, educational. One week off. One week off. I'm telling you. We hope we've been entertaining, educational, and uplifting. And we want everyone to make money. Have a good night. Have a good night.